This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. My name is Lise Kukkonen, and this is Practitioner's Viewpoint. In this series of podcasts, I will be interviewing practitioners from different fields on how they see sedentary behavior and promotion of physical activity in their work. We will share good practices about the promotion of physical activity from around the world. Today, I have the honor to introduce my guest, Dr. Mary Kennedy. Dr. Mary Kennedy is a physical activity and nutrition specialist, researcher, writer, and coach. Dr. Kennedy is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Institute for Nutrition Research at Edith Cohen University. Her research focus is integrating exercise and nutrition into standard healthcare practice. Mary has served on the American College of Sport Medicine's Exercises Medicine Education Committee and is currently the Physical Activity Advisor for the American Institute of Cancer research. In her doctoral research, she has been studying the implementation barriers to integrating exercise as medicine in oncology. She is also passionate about coaching people to run their first marathons. So in this episode today, we are going to mainly talk about how to integrate physical activity as part of patient care in cancer treatment. I am happy to introduce Dr. Mary Kennedy. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad you're here today. So, Mary, let's start with your professional background. How or why did you get interested in nutrition and physical activity? Yeah, so my undergraduate degree many years ago um, was in um, exercise physiology. And I can remember the day I had an internship experience. I was in Boston and at the Jocelyn Diabetes Center. And it was there that I first really saw the magic of exercise where you could use it to actually help somebody manage their diabetes. Um, And sort of before that, it had always been kind of seen, I had thought about it from sort of a make people feel, you know, fit into a dress or something. And I didn't love that, but really, um, you know, watching it as part of healthcare really got me so excited. And that's really, um, I set out on, you know, my path to to make exercise a career sort of from a healthcare point of view and um, continued into working at a, I was at the Be Well Center at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, where we were uh, an exercise clinic that served the, the employees of the hospital, but also we really had this vision of doing um, chronic disease self-management plans. So helping people use exercise as medicine. And that's where it started. And I really have just continued along that path. Nutrition. Um, I, I went to get my master's in nutrition because I saw that you can't really do exercise with also, without also understanding the other side of that equation. And so um, having expertise in both has really helped me, but I still continue um, to be dedicated to seeing both of those as a part of a necessary part of the healthcare system. Great. And uh, what are the projects that you are involved now? Yeah, so really, um, as you mentioned, my uh, doctoral work was about focusing on um, putting exercise as standard care into a cancer uh, care center here. And I'm, I'm currently in uh, Western Australia. And in my postdoc, I'm continuing that work. So 
really um, the expertise I gained through the um, PhD was the implementation science side of things. So having worked in the exercise and nutrition fields for many years um, and having the practical side of that and seeing the, the real life challenges of making those things part of the healthcare system, I became interested in the field of implementation science, which actually studies how you put things into practice. And so married um, the expertise together to really look at how we can um, really, we say exercise is medicine, but how do we do that in practice? So that's what I'm really focused on right now, as well as some other um, research projects. Okay, we will be talking about the implementation a lot today. I'm really looking forward to it because I think we can see it like throughout, um, even though we're going to talk about oncology and cancer care today, but I I'm quite sure that we see this throughout medical fields, the the, the barriers. And uh, you have also said that there is a huge gap between what we know and what we do when it comes to exercise and nutrition. Um, so I think it's also on a personal level and also on the organizational level that, you know, we know a lot. We don't maybe do everything according to what we know. So why do you think this gap exists and how could we bridge it? Yeah, I think it's such an important question. And I think there's, you know, separating exactly what you said, the personal level and the organizational level have two different sets of challenges related to them. And I don't think we do a good job, first of all, of separating those. Um, in looking, you know, from the exercise and cancer perspective, we tend to say, why aren't people exercising? Well, they're not motivated. They're, you know, all of those things that come along, they don't know how to do it. But there's a lot of access issues that are inherent in the organization. And if you look at the literature, there's not a lot of people looking at the organizational level and saying, hey, why aren't the leaders of hospitals um, funding these programs? Why aren't there spaces for people to do it? You know, those are the, there are two different issues. And really being clear which set of barriers you're trying to overcome is the first step so that you know what problems you have to solve. Um, they talk a lot in the implementation science field about the idea that we tend to, there's a few things. Um, one is um, we tend to try to solve everything with education. So, oh, patients aren't exercising. What they need to do is know more about exercise or doctors aren't prescribing, same thing. But if you really start to investigate the problem, often, they might know that they should be exercising, but they don't have transportation to get there. You know, sometimes it's, you know, or parking is a problem, Some, something very simple that you can overcome, but we're trying to solve the wrong problem by just putting education at everything. And education is a necessary component of most strategies, but it's not enough. It almost is never enough to just tell people what to do. There's often something else that's um, included. And there's, um, there's a term in the implementation science field called is logit, um, which stands for it seemed like a good idea at the time, which is a lot of like, why, why did researchers put together this, you know, exercise program? Well, the researchers sat in a room, and it seemed like a good idea. Um, but this so what I think we don't do enough of is that true um, stakeholder needs assessment. So not just asking the patients, but looking at the patients and the environment that they're in and understanding the challenges at both. Because the reality is 
behavior doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, there are things we want to do and we're challenged to do them by our environment. And so, you know, back to what you had said before, at a personal level, there's the environment around you that might be challenging that people have to understand. And that's the same with organizations. Organizations also have sort of environmental barriers that you've got to understand to know how, what levers you can pull and and how to make change. Um, do you think that um, we we need to analyze these barriers to be successful in implementation or, for example, exercise? Do you think that these barriers should be analyzed individually for every organization or how do you see that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the thing, context absolutely matters. Um, you know, what's going to work for my organization in Australia is going to be different for your organization. And, you know, and that's true. However, um, in one of the um, publications I'm really excited that will um, be uh, available shortly is I did a scoping review of the barriers to exercise and took this uh, so social ecological approach, which which really looks at sort of the, you know, individual and the environments that they're in. And I did it within a healthcare context. So what are all the layers in a healthcare context that may play a role in um, stopping exercise, in being a barrier from exercise being integrated into care? And what that does is really outlines the fact that there are barriers at every level and that those barriers... Um, are interrelated. So you can't solve one without understanding the others. And so your question, do we do need to do it at each level? Yes, every context is different. However, I do think like that paper can serve as a place, as a as an outline for people to say, okay, these are the probably going to be the big issues. Let's investigate these issues within my context. So you're not walking in with a blank slate. We do have a good understanding of common reasons why these things don't exist how financial barriers happen for me will be different than they happen for you but and so we need to understand what the specific things are and who the key players are in our own environments but knowing that financial barriers are probably going to be an issue is helpful so i think there's a general roadmap that people can start to use to put apply to their own context and that's the work i really am interested in doing is is trying to um provide that roadmap for people. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy that this uh the implementation mapping protocol is going to soon be available and maybe also on the other fields where people can use this as a as a roadmap as you said. Uh so you were talking already about the barriers that you have seen in your work and when I when I was reading um, your your papers or public publications i was um some things i could expect being there but the others were a bit like um of surprise to me so for example um you know the gym hours not being enough or um transportation so what was uh, what were the main barriers and like uh, what was maybe surprising to you also yeah the i mean the thing is all of those I think what was surprising, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer this. For me, the idea that it really came down to leadership, um, organizational leadership was something that I just kept coming back to because it's the leader that really is the gatekeeper to all of those decisions. So 
Um, the gym hours obviously are decided for lots of reasons. And in the case that you're talking about, um, you know, we evaluated a, a program that had been existed for a while. Um, everyone loved it, which was what was interesting. You talked to patients that loved it, the doctors loved it. But it was one of those things that got to be on autopilot. And I actually think it's a big challenge um, with exercise and nutrition when we talk about it as part of healthcare. Everyone, we've gotten to a place and over my career, I would say that I've definitely seen the shift where we no longer really have to educate people that exercise and nutrition is important. Doctors know it, but it's a nice to have. It's not a need to have. And they don't necessarily know how to do it. So they're happy to have it as a thing. Like, oh, great, we have an exercise clinic. We can refer to it. But nobody owns that the same way they would if there was, you know, if the, um, you know, nursing staff stopped having hours that were convenient, there'd be reasons that the leadership would fix that because it's inherent to the things they feel are critical to their business model. Exercise was important to everybody, but wasn't critical to anybody's business model. And so as time went on, no one was overseeing it and making sure, you know, the reports weren't coming in every month to see that it was performing to the standards that they wanted to see. And so that's where the hours just slowly drifted off and the funding wasn't necessarily there. Um, And so I think that's really interesting is to think about how do we put exercise on the map for the leaders of a business so that they have to um, treat it the same way they will everything else. It, how do we make it an inherent part of their business model? Um, because all of the other barriers really tied back to that. If someone cared enough, they would force the other decisions to happen. And when I say care, they obviously care, but it just, you know, every, leaders have competing priorities and this one just didn't um, raise the red flags that other things should. And I think um, one of the points that I really came to make through my thesis is, um, you know, we say exercise is medicine. And I think it is as a concept from, you know, its benefits to to people. And, and we can demonstrate that. But exercise isn't medicine when it comes to healthcare. And I say that meaning that the systems don't actually exist to allow it to be. So if there was a new... Um, medication, we can easily insert that into our healthcare system because we know the prescription pathway, we know the funding pathway, all of that's there. Um, When we tried to incorporate an exercise clinic into care in a treatment center, you know, we had to build everything from the ground up. So the referral pathway had to be built into their systems. We um, had to figure out how to put you know, the exercise programming into the medical records, we had to figure out what what the exercise physiologist should be saying to the clinicians. How did they want to talk back and forth? And, you know, everyone was open to doing it, but there was no standard plug and play. And I think that's where we need to be honest about it. And, th- and I think that's a true barrier for it. So a business says, okay, great, we want exercise. Tell me how to do it. And the how to do it starts from the ground up. And people don't, understandably, they don't necessarily have the money to invest in building it. And there's very few people with the expertise. We don't know the right 
way yet. And so that's being developed as we go. And it's, um, it's really understandable that businesses are hesitant. At the end of the day, as much as we don't like to talk about the money side of healthcare, it's a reality. You know, the business has to keep their door open. And that was one of the things that I became very clear about. We don't tend to do, when we do research, we, we really understandably focus on the patient outcomes. Um, but, and then we say, you know, here are really good patient outcomes. Hey, business leaders, why aren't you doing it? Well, they have business outcomes. And, and I think there is a bit of, if we can include these organizational leaders into our understanding of the challenges and into our building of the systems, and we understand what they need out of the programming, we can better develop programs that, that meet both needs. And we're not just trying to push them into a direction that just truly isn't feasible. Join to stop the worldwide pandemic of inactivity. Are you a medical doctor, physical therapist, personal trainer, or someone else helping individuals in making a change towards a healthier, better life? Imagine a behavior change tool designed for professionals like you to help your clients achieve better results and at the same time provide you with more income. Fibian is that tool. It offers an evidence-based way for health and wellness professionals to extend their services into coaching. The only thing your client needs to do is put a tiny Fibian device into their pocket for a week. No buttons, no apps, no Bluetooth connections, just a foolproof way to get scientifically accurate data easily. The device collects subjective physical activity data from your client. Furthermore, it forms easy-to-understand visual feedback and lifestyle suggestions towards healthier choices that you can present and discuss with your client. An individual approach encourages and motivates clients to change their lifestyle patterns and gives you an opportunity to strengthen your expert status and distinguish from competition. Fibian helps you to educate and coach your clients through this change towards a more active and healthy life. Strengthen your expert status. Distinguish yourself from the competition. Order Fibian now at Fibian.com. That's F-I-B-O-N dot com. So if I... Uh, so you're, you are saying, even though we maybe don't want to sometimes publicly say that, but we should be able to also show to the business owners that physical activity is financially also reasonable. Besides that is, it is really good for the patient and, and beneficial for the outcomes, but it, it can't be different from all the other, uh, medical care. So it should be included. Uh, what about the exercise uh, specialists i have uh, been i've been talking to other physicians and i see that one of the barriers to physicians is that they don't know the exercise specialists or they don't maybe have full trust of what's been done and like as the physicians um, have the responsibility for their patients so some research shows that the better they know each other in a way or trust the more referrals there is. Did you see that also in your uh, research? Well, uh, yes. I I think the important thing about my research, so I had um, this really beautiful model that I got to kind of play with, which was there was a 
co-located exercise clinic within a cancer treatment center that had been in existence for four years before I arrived. And one of the reasons that it started in the first place, I mean, it started in 2013 and really it was quite ahead of its time. And it was um, really, it was born out of one of the oncologists when they were building a new site for this cancer treatment center had been um, referring his patients to the clinical trials of the Exercise Medicine Research Institute. And really kind of, he calls himself evangelical about exercise. He really bought into it and wanted all his patients to do it. So when this treatment center was open, they wanted to find a way to get all their patients access. And so that's how the co-located clinic was born. And one of the key reasons it existed and continued um, as well as it did was that the doctors without a doubt trusted because they had that relationship, the exercise physiologists who work there were from the Exercise Medicine Research Institute. They had been trained um, and the physicians, that, that trust gap didn't exist there. Um, and it's one of the issues that we as an exercise field need to do a better job of um, is is establishing who we are and how we're credentialed so that we we eliminate some of that um, ability to to not trust us. I think the field itself is complicated because we're not um, there's a lot of different names for who we are you know, a personal trainer versus an exercise scientist versus an exercise physiologist. What's the right name? Who am I looking for? And then the, you know, the certification process, it's complicated. And sometimes internally, we're not all on the same page. And it's one of, I've been part of conversations um, through the American College of Sports Medicine and others where we as a group are saying, hey, we need to establish ourselves in one clear unified direction so we can start to um, close this gap a bit and have more meaningful, clear direction to the doctors. Because I think right right now it's hard and it's complicated by the fact they don't know the exercise professionals partly because we're not able to, we're not billable. And so we we have a really hard time integrating into a healthcare team because how do you pay for us? And, and, you know, it's where I say, no, nobody wants to talk about money, but money is a reality. Um, if, the, if the organization can't pay for you, then the patient has to pay for you. Somebody has to. And without um, being billable, it's a, it's a big problem. And it's something, you know, in your introduction, you, you, we had just talked about cost. And, and again, it's, it's not anybody's favorite topic, but it is one of the key outcomes for in implementation is cost effectiveness. And I think, um, you know, a call to researchers to say, when you're doing your work, try to demonstrate the the cost effectiveness of the work you're doing. Um, because we need to lobby sort of to, at a policy level to figure out how, how can we become billable? How can we be integrated? And that's a big that's a barrier that's going to exist in any country that doesn't have coverage. And it, you know, is something that we, this trust gap, I think will forever be there without figuring out how to make us a true, you know, whether it's board certified, whatever it is, but that we can be seen the same way as a nurse would be seen, or even as a physical therapist, um, you know. And I think the, the trust gap or kind of like the 
showing that it's cost effective, even if there is a coverage, then we still in a country, for example, here in Finland, it, it is possible, but still you have to show to the policymakers that it is cost effective. So it's uh, maybe a different uh, part or organization to where you have to show that what you do makes sense in every way, but it's still there. Um, I think I'd really like to ask you before, in the second part, we will go uh, more deeply into exercise in cancer care, uh, what it would be like. I would uh, really like to ask you about um, about the feedback that you got from the different stakeholders. You had patients and oncologists, and then you had also the business owners. Is there something you'd like to bring out? I mean, I think from the patient perspective, exercise is hugely powerful to patients. Um, They get so much value from it. And I think it is when we talk more about the challenges specifically in cancer, um, those outcomes vary um, widely, but, but just from a quality of life point of view. Um, it's it's really meaningful. And one of the, there's two comments I really took away from the patients. Um, one was, you know, this whole process of treatment is I listen to experts who tell me what I have to do and I just, they have control and I have to do it. Exercise was the one place I could take control. And I think that's very powerful is just giving them something that they feel like they can do for themselves because they're so reliant on just medication and and things happening to them. That that's um, one big piece of the puzzle is is giving the patient control back. The other was, um, so we were in a radiation treatment center. And for those that aren't familiar, um, radiation typically happens daily and it, you know, is for several weeks at a time. So it's, it's, it's part of the reason the co-location was so good because they have to come every day anyway. And the consistent feedback was it made sort of a negative experience into a positive one because I had to go do it anyway. But then I got to go to the exercise clinic where there were other people like me and a lot of them, um, which is funny because people talk about the women often being, you know, the social ones. But the men we saw really became social butterflies and we go out for coffee afterwards. And that's very typical. It's not just our clinic. Um, But it's just the power of giving somebody something good that they can do for themselves in a moment that's really difficult in many other ways is is huge. Um, So that I think people and, you know, the clinicians, one of the things I really took away from them is and it comes with the greatest care. Everybody's so worried about the patient and wanting to do what's best for them. Clinicians, we have to remember, while they're educated in so many ways and are so good at what they do, often exercise is not a piece of their education. And so they bring to it their own personal bias of and protection of the patient. And so often they're trying to protect the patient from something they think they won't want to do. You know, so, oh, you know, the, the patient's 80 years old and she's not going to want to exercise. So I didn't offer it to her. Um, where in fact, and I think their their vision of, you know, understanding what an exercise physiologist is going to do is not going to make the 80 year old person, you know, run a marathon, they're going <laughs> to understand what they need and give them that and, and the positive that comes with that, um, I think is lost sometimes. So that out of the clinicians doing the best they, 
you know, they, they're doing everything they can to protect the patient. Sometimes I think we need to do a better job of getting them to understand that exercise has is really powerful and, and potentially beneficial. So that was a an interesting barrier where everyone was doing what they thought was the right thing, but not necessarily. So even though even though the the knowledge is there, but still sometimes, did you see that the uh, knowledge of a healthcare provider about physical activity in cancer care was uh, correlated to how much they um, referred or or suggested physical physical activity? I d- didn't measure that specifically. Um, I think that, uh, and it it was how much across the board there. And again, because I came in several years after the culture of exercise was already adopted. I wasn't new coming into, you know, into a place. So everyone sort of knew that they should, um, time was a big issue for them. So a lot of times it came down to whether or not they ran out of time in a visit. And, um, I th- I would say, and this is more anecdotal, I don't have the data to back it up, but it's people who did exercise themselves and really believed in it were more likely to pass it on. But that protective nature for the patient um, was really powerful. And, you know, you mentioned we did have out, uh, issues with the clinic hours. And I thought one of the really powerful quotes was from the nurse that said, like, why do I want to offer them something that they probably can't use? It's only open a couple hours a week. Um, and, you know, again, that comes back to really wanting to protect the patient. Like, I don't want to give you something you can't use and make you want it. Um, and so that's why getting the hours more aligned with the the treatment schedules was really a key part to improving the, the clinic. I, I think it's, you said a quote from a nurse and I, I read another one from your from your work which was um, also I think from from a nurse probably that you don't plant to seed unless you can water it I think that's maybe also something we should really talk about that many healthcare providers want to be there for the patients and want to protect them I think it's also a really nice way to end up our first part of the podcast thank you Mary so much for for being here we will soon be back for the second part and thank you for all the listeners great thank you Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.